Uh, it's long. <laughs> oh, it's Tuesday and it's long. Yeah, Tuesday and it's long. And yeah, I'm actually working like overtime right now. Nice. So. No overtime allowed, but you're working overtime. Uh, that's the thing. Like, if archaeologists ever go through our emails, they'll all be convinced that we never worked any overtime because the only emails that ever go out about overtime are how we are no longer to work any overtime. Very good. Never opening the floodgates. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, I'm straight salaried, so there is there is no overtime. Ah, uh, so, uh, but there's always more to do than time allows. So, it is what it is. Yeah. Recently, I've just been going for the forgiveness instead of permission approach, and it's been working pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> now, along those lines, has your company decided if there's personality types involved in overtime usage? Like, has there been any any correlation to that? <laughs> well, we did all get 16 different colored boxes that we have to sit in. So. Oh, very good. <laughs> Do they also organize uh, your desk position by color? Like, do you get one color? I, I wish that slots? I. I wish that I could say that there's some rationale, but it's it's mostly just job role. Uh, well, so. I guess that's a little bit rationale. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do we want to talk personality types? Sure, let's talk personality types. Okay, so uh, welcome to the Adhocracy Podcast. Today we are discussing personality types and our love-hate relationship with them. Not necessarily the personalities, but rather the boxes that we all fit in, supposedly. Um, there's a couple of popular ones. Uh, I've taken a handful of these tests before. I've done the DISC profile. I've done the Myers-Briggs. And I've done... Enneagram? Enneagram. Yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. the real cool one. Yeah, yeah, that's what all the cool kids are, but we already know I'm a perfect 10. <laughs> <laughs> a number 10 on the Enneagram. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay. And for those of you not in the know, the Enneagram is supposed to only have nine profiles. So yes. Jack being a 10, it's a little Enneagram joke to open the podcast. There we go. <laughs> those in the know. <laughs> um, okay, so... What's the scoop with personality types? My opinion, and this was even the case back when I was in college, freshly back from a Tony Robbins uh, Unleash the Power Within live seminar in Boulder, mm. Colorado, or Colorado Springs. Colorado? Colorado. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was spring, though, so no, no skiing or anything like that. But uh -huh. um, I would say in general, um, personality typing and uh, self-help do seem to go hand in hand, um, and yet... There's also seems to be a bit of a conflicting message in there, which is like, well, if you're an introvert, you can maybe just try harder and uh, become better, and then you're more naturally extroverted. Um, so I guess I, I've got some questions for you and curious about your opinions on this. Do you think someone who is naturally introverted can become naturally extroverted, or is that more of a brain wiring? Oh, man, that's you got the nature versus nurture right there. Um I think I think that it, it it can be both. I mean, I mean, basically. So the the question is, can you move through the different boxes? Is is almost what you're saying? Because that's like one of the like the main for Myers Briggs, anyways. That's one of the main like spectrums. There is introvert. Yeah, that's, versus... that's your EI right there. Exactly. Um, and I I test in the middle most of the times. Yeah. I I do. I'm an I'm like an ambivert. So right <laughs> out of the gate, I already feel like I'm violating the. Um, you're standing. The, the, I, I'm. Not, I. I stand on a line. You stand on the edge I, of a razor's box. edge of a box, <laughs> bound to get paper cut. Um, yeah. So. So I'm kind of the ambivert. I personally enjoy people, but I also need to recharge. So some people would say that makes me an 
extroverted introvert because I need to recharge, but I enjoy people. And that to me just sounds like I'm human socially fluid. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, I, I think the intent behind that is to help you identify which, which box you sit in so that you can help understand yourself better. And then you can help identify any anything that you would want to change in your life, I think, is some of the idea. But then also, so you can understand how you interact with other people. Um, and I think if you really dive into that and you make it a focus in your life, you could probably move move across that spectrum from being more introverted to extroverted. But I think when it comes down to it, that you're it's probably more nature than nurture when it comes to like specifically introvert versus extrovert. That's just my feeling on it. I haven't like dug into any med archive articles on this or anything. Sure. Sure. (laughs) So we're, we're kind of shooting from our hips here for tonight's episode and that's, that's okay. I'm, I'm totally good with, uh, running by the seat of my pants. But I wonder again, what type of box that would be. Yeah. On the, uh, there's uh that's part of the disc profile type of thing. I haven't, what, what's the disc profile? Uh, that's like your, um, I'm going to have to look up the terms for this, but the disc one was kind of like, it's more of a work type of thing. And it, it bucketizes you into like, what's your more natural strengths with an organization? Are you more of a process type person? Are you more of like a leader type? Did person? someone say process? That's right. <laughs> They've got a bucket for you, Luke. Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's uh, so the disc profile was that. Um, now I kind of I, I was actually looking for that about a week or so ago. I was like, I wonder where, where that went. But the files and PDFs are long gone. And oh no. Of course, that was many jobs ago on some corporate email thing. So, so of course, deleted. How many different like Enneagram has not has the nine. Uh, the the Myers Briggs has I think. I think it's 16 different boxes. How many, uh, how many box or discs, how many discs are there within (laughs) the disc profile? And are they like, as soon as you say disc, I'm curious, is this take into account like a, like a Venn diagram approach where you're able to kind of bounce between a couple or, or how does this one work? Yeah. So this is uh, a four, they have four buckets. So they have the dominance, uh, category, um, I'm just going to be quoting from situational.com. We'll reference this just for, uh, citing our sources here. Sure. Uh, points here, but so dominance, uh, they say this style is both bold and skeptical. They typically dive into challenges produced by their environment and place a high priority on winning. Uh, they tend to be more receptive to logic, data and analysis than they are somebody else's or than they are to somebody else's gut level feel or intuition. They pursue challenges in a dynamic, assertive, self-assured manner. They can also become easily irritated with opposing viewpoints, um, which elicit responsibly can be categorized as indifference, mm. intolerance, or hostility. So that's category one. Category two is influence. This person's bold and accepting, um, but they're more people-oriented and motivated by their connections with others. Uh, they tend to welcome, welcome others with warm and inviting manner that encourages collaboration and generates excitement. Uh, they pursue environmental challenges in an outgoing, enthusiastic, and optimistic manner. And they're also prone to keep people happy. So kind of more the people pleaser type person in here. Mm. Uh, and as a result, they may be reluctant to provide others with constructive feedback or pay adequate attention to follow through or attention to detail. This is definitely more my style. Mm. Like I'm I'm kind of more the uh, like 
I, I like to collaborate with folks and get things going. But mm-hmm. when it comes to like the very last follow through, that is definitely a struggle for me. I'm not the perfectionist at that level. So, so this is interesting because on that one, um, that sounded a lot like myself too, where it's like, you know, you, you, you like making sure that everyone's working together happily. Um, but then the lack of follow through, I feel like I oh, will, I will. We're getting to your category. Uh, oh, here. wonderful. But I mean, like, I feel like <laughs> I would, I'm the guy who like, Hey, remember three years ago, we said we were going to do that project. It's still sitting in my backlog. We haven't talked about it for two years. Yep. <laughs> All right. So that is us. Uh, so that's where now we're entering the S, which is steadiness. Uh, this style is both cautious and accepting. They are highly motivated to help others maintain the stability of their environment. They excel at cooperation and are routinely described as calm or patient. They respond to challenges of their environment in a thoughtful and comparatively methodical manner, routinely providing others with empathy and support. They have a tendency to struggle with change that disrupts their routines and can be shocked, <gasps> stunned, or temporarily dis- dazed by its emergence. And I have one more category here, and then we can yak about that, which is uh, conscientiousness. This style is both cautious and skeptical. They can best be described as detail-oriented. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they have strong preferences for an environment defined by its stability. They enjoy opportunities to demonstrate their expertise and share the quality uh, share the quality of their work. They're driven by logic and objective analyses. As such, they'll typically respond to disruptions in their routine by openly questioning the feasibility and viability of the proposed path forward. They have a tendency to overanalyze but when they reach a level of comfort, they can serve as a calming source of objective support. Uh, all right. I can see how this is definitely work-oriented. Yeah, it's very much work-oriented. So, And I think, too, what's kind of interesting is you'll find like a lot of managery people and either the high in the D or I side of things. Mm. Um, so and is, then like the folks that are like kind of the, the individual contributor role are going to be oftentimes bucketed more heavily in the other ones. And – what if I recall correctly, when they did the disc thing, it was like a percentage score. It wasn't like a you fit this box. But I was it's just ask, kind of okay. a matter of ratios. And um, I think like the Enneagram, they didn't quite have wings, but the concept was you could have multiple of those in different ratios and they apply in different ways, kind of what's more dominant. Okay. Less prescriptive though about what that means for you. Interesting. I don't know. In that one, I saw myself in a lot of those different categories actually. Yep. So I can see why you why it would be built that way. Yeah. So, so that's that's uh, that's disc. Um, of the personality types, I actually think I like that test the best. Yeah. Um, now it's been years since I did that. It's probably been eight nine years since I took that test. So, oh, wow. So that's you know whatever however good memory is after <laughs> nine years on those type of topics. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's talk about family members and their use of personality profiles <laughs> and uh, perhaps. Why you do the things that you do, mm. or perhaps don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the I had never really heard of these um, until I uh, married my wonderful wife, and her family was very big on the Myers Briggs, and her brothers would constantly uh, be telling me, "Oh, you're going to get along with this person because they're also an INTJ or whatever it was," and like, "But you won't get along with this person so well because they're an INT." B or whatever it is. (laughs) And it just, it always just irked me that it's like, I will get along with who I want to get along with. (laughs) And you don't need to put me in this little box and say, I can only, or I will play best with the people in the boxes next to me or whatever. So, yeah, that's fair. Now, it's kind of interesting is, um, I, even though, 
Even though he was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's even better. And that's, that's the part that I like. I I I would say that I have a a uh, a private love and a public hate for all of these things because there's a part of me that loves how much sense all of these make. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm the one like being okay, this is it's like no, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough, fair enough. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'm a little bit the same way. Like I love the idea of being able to categorize things. Like I think that just naturally fits with um, for me to like. I always try to build a mental model of things in the world, and if I don't have a good visual mental model of how things connect. Um, I find concepts harder to grasp. Mm -hmm. So at least for me, like as long as I can like kind of in my mind's eye, visualize a flow for something that all that helps me, um, just rationalize something and be able to me like use my predictive faculties, uh, better. What I think I also though, um, am big on the idea of like self-determinism and that's kind of ironic because I think so much of us is like. Like you could have a bad health thing and that's like completely genetic. Mm-hmm. It could just be, you know, a fluke or it could be whatever. And so these ideas of categorizing um, a human mind into like 16 buckets when we have trillions of potential connections in our brain seems tenuous at best to me. Mm-hmm. And the very idea that um, we can be like bucketized things in that way, just on that like kind of physical basis seems you know con- contrived like it's like a artificial simplification of the world now in software we say all abstractions are leaky um so like if you're going to build um something like let's let's say you have a missile launcher and all it has mm-hmm. is a trajectory and a button uh but you lose you lose layers of control at the top you can't do all the little corrections along the way but if you press that button and you you know point on the map where it goes Th- that's a very leaky abstraction. It, it pulls you very far away from the actual device in question. And I feel like in, in the same way, many of these tests are very much that it's a leaky abstraction in a way to oversimplify another human being. Mm. Yeah. I, and, and I think that's what I don't like about it is, is how it does feel oversimplified at times. I mean, I, I think that there is a lot of, I mean, 16 is actually a, a fair amount and humans do have a fair amount of similarity between um, between each other. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I always found or was thinking about this that that I find interesting is, is it almost points to um, like <laughs> if if we were more like uh, machines, there's like 16 boxes of machines. And so like we're each built this certain way mm-hmm. and we always end up landing in these same spots. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like, interesting, right? Like if you're to imagine like, OK, who are the five friends I'm going to pick to hang out with, you know? Mm -hmm. And like at at the end of the day, if you were to like rerun a simulation of life or something like that, it'd be interesting to see what percentage of the time you end up with those same types of friends. Now you're talking multiverse. uh, Multiverse. You're talking uh, any number of, uh, yeah, possibilities in there or that just life is a simulation type of concept. Oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) But I always wondered like, you know, as a kid, I was always like, oh, man, I wish I could have, like clone myself five different times. It'd be the best to be able to hang out with myself. I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, probably I think, not. <laughs> I think I, I, I would probably piss me off a lot. And like just like if I had to work with myself and like deal with my own idiosyncrasies, like because because then I'd get this complex of like, oh, well, I don't need to do that work. You can go do that work, even though uh, the I is me and in that situation. Or that's the uh, is me. Um, That's the Calvin and Hobbes um, <laughs> when he creates that cardboard box and all of the replicas of him come out. 
Oh, I love amazing. I love Calvin and Hobbes. So Very. much, so much great. Yeah, I remember like flipping through that. I think it, I think the only one I actually had was the Sunday Afternoon. Um, is like a pretty big fat Calvin mm. and Hobbes collection book. We've got some of the collections at home, and Zach Zach loves reading through those. But nice. Um, he the whenever he like has one of those moments where it's like it's character building. And then I bring up the Calvin and Hobbes, and I'm like, you know how Calvin always complains about character building? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this is exactly what he's complaining about in that moment. And then he just gets, you know, grumpy and storms off, which, you know, it's character building. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call that, huh? Yeah. Um, but on uh, on the other side of my family, then, um, my mother and, and her sister... Um, got really into the Enneagram mm. and uh, a lot of my family um, got, got into that. And that one, I, um, I found very intriguing because it, it still puts people into nine boxes, mm-hmm. one of nine. But what I found really interesting about that one is how depending on your mental state, it talks about how you wing into something. So if you're stressed, then this is the the path you take. This is the kind yep. of things that you engage in to help you with, help you um, deal with that stress. And by and large, yeah, I found it's that, I found those accurate. were actually, I found those were actually seemed pretty true. Mm-hmm. Not universally so, but there were certain aspects of, um, like yeah, like specifically, yeah, the, the stress response did seem to fairly accurately describe some of my traits, which I thought was cool. Um, and so that was, um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. The Enneagram, yeah, let's, let's take a look at the, some of the factors on Enneagram. All I know is, and that was one where I didn't take the test for a long time, but my family was just like, oh, that's such a six thing. You're such a six. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is, a... and then one day I sat down and I took the test and what do you know? I was a six. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, is the, the Enneagram, this is is it specifically like a Christian one or that's the impression I've gotten. Um, but I don't, I, I don't know for sure, but I mean like as far as how, like how they use the wings. Cause I think a lot of this has to do with being able to understand, you know, like the, the Myers Briggs is good, but like, uh, this one, a lot of times when you're dealing with other human beings, um, when things get difficult, especially, you know, in the family is when you're under, under a lot of stress or yep. under these other kind of these aspects that the, that Myers-Briggs doesn't necessarily dig into, but the Enneagram does where it's like, okay, I know that my mom is, uh, I don't remember. I don't know. Mom, if you're listening, sorry. Um, but you know, if she's a six, cause you know, I'm a six and that yeah, sixes the, are the, the best. I got the doodling um, pulled up here. I know that when I get stressed out, I'm going to do this. And I know that if my mom gets stressed out, she's going to do the same thing. And so it, it can help you be like, oh, they're a six, they're stressed. This is why they're doing that. Yep. I shouldn't necessarily take this all personally. Yeah, It's more of just them expressing themselves through this personality. And so, you know, I don't think any of these are perfect, but it does give you a way to help you understand um, some of how, you know, why you would react in a certain way, but also how to deal with other people too. So I think the conclusion that I'm, I'm drawing out of this is if you take the Enneagram, you take the disc and you take the Myers-Briggs, you multiply them all together. You're starting to probably approach all the possible personality types. <gasps> what we need to do is like, is like each of these is a different dimension. Yeah. 
and then it it becomes a different one and we could do a picture of it and you get a you get a pictorial of like what that actually means so what would that be so because these are kind of different that would be interesting if you could if you could literally plot these in like three dimensions you have your disc dimension Mm -hmm. you have your enneagram dimension yeah because your disc would be like your professional life Mm -hmm. the enneagram would be your personal life yeah you're you're really so then what would myers briggs be that's the perfect one the perfect (laughs) 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 but i mean like uh I mean, because like, there's work and and personal life. Those, those are usually the two Myers, big Myers Briggs is kind of like the way I describe that almost is, um, it feels like it is a just a description of your general tendencies, but it doesn't go in as into as much analysis of the like the behavioral analysis beyond that. It's kind of like here's your buckets. You can infer what that means, and can then they have a laundry list of descriptions in there, and then. This is the part that actually drives me nuts about all these is then you pick and choose the ones that kind of seem to fit you or that you've you got to take a test. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you take a test, but I'm saying like then you get the analysis back and it's a couple of paragraphs often of like whatever that means for you. And it's like, oh, when Luke gets stressed, he will tend to try to control things in this way or he'll try to overanalyze things and, and try to come up with all kinds of possibilities or, you know, something like that. Right. Uh, and it's like that might be a way. And then you might read that and go. Um, I like the part where it says I analyze things because that makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. And therefore you agree with the description a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I think the way they write these things is almost like plain to you. It's plain to you. And it's like personality horoscopes. (laughs) Myers Briggs, the personality horoscope. (laughs) Yep. So, um, I think there's a, there was a scientific American article on, uh, are these personality types worth anything? And um, the big summary, I the, the the part that stood out to me was the take it with a grain of salt and not all of these are scientifically validated. But then they yeah. didn't actually really point to any that were scientifically validated. And so this now may hit a sore spot for any of the um, psychology type people is uh, there's a big debate that psychology isn't science at all um, because it's not grounded in physics. And so... There's folks that don't like that, uh, who are in in that realm. Yeah, but I'm an engineer, so I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So no, I do real science. Okay. Yeah. So so we had a guy over, and he's an electrical engineer, and we had another guy over who is pursuing psychology, and um, the guy who's the electrical engineer then went to proceed into. to basically let the other person know why, while they were pursuing their PhD, that they were pursuing a uh, field of pseudoscience and not real science. Oh the conversation went real well, but it was fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, how, 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 so what would you define as a, as an area of science? Like, how do you draw that line between science what is and knowledge? Yes, I mean, the, 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 well, I mean, that, so that's an interesting question because I mean, like, what what is science? It's anything. Was is it anything that uses a scientific process? Yeah, so I, I I view science as generally speaking a process, scientific method, of course. Delightful. You know, like like generating your hypothesis. Okay, let's kind of like start there. Let's run an experiment. Let's you know come up with some proposal of like what we think this is going to look like gather data analyze it and then like test for repeatability so i think um the claim that say psychology isn't grounded in physics fundamentally 
isn't science is a straw man in that sense. Like it is a, um, it's kind of like an ad hominem attack. It's like, you're a jerk. And it's like, well, that might be true that I might be a jerk, but you know, it's, well, so- it's more interesting to be like, I make fun of people 10 times a day and that's rude. And therefore that behavior is jerk like, mm-hmm. um, or something like that. Um, so in that same way, I feel like that the, the psychology realm of where you do population level studies, or maybe you give someone a medicine and then their behavior changes. And if you sample enough folks in that way, that is scientific. Right. And so that, and that was something I was going to, going to poke at is like on a large scale, you could make a case that psychology is is scientific because there's general trends that you can see, mm-hmm. but then on the individual level, especially if if there's someone who wants to improve or change something in their life, then that kind of puts them into this weird bucket where they're you know the 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 data shows them going in in this direction, but mm-hmm. then they want to go in a different direction and they end up with this like winding path yeah, perhaps between like a, the two. Like almost like an oscillating wave uh, yeah. of like overcorrection. So I think that you could make a case that on the large scale it is, but then on the individual level, and this kind of gets back to the question you actually first asked at the start here, is it nature versus nurture? Yeah. And I think that it's, you know, you, you really can make a case for both, especially in psychology. Yep. Because if, some, like if somebody really wants to change something in their life and they're really committed to it, a lot of times, I mean, I won't be able to say you're you're going to completely change your life, but you can definitely change the direction. Yeah, no, there's actually, so speaking of Tony Robbins, I think, I mean, you, you want to talk about the guru of uh, self-help, change, and all that, had a recent interview. Um, so I'm going to summarize this, and this may not be exactly accurate, but Tony Robbins had an injury. Uh, he's always been a um, super big, you know, physically impressive person. Um, he would, he, uh, ended up having some health problems though, as a consequence to his overproduction of certain hormones. And, um, the doctor is basically like, you have, um, a super high level of these hormones and they are causing you problems, but I can tell you right now, a lot of bodybuilders would pay me thousands of dollars a month to get their levels boosted up to what yours currently are naturally. And so in that same way, like, you know, you want to talk about someone who has, very high energy level, very high natural capabilities is almost predestined to be the type of person who could um, demonstrate that like rah, rah type of enthusiasm that is absolutely contagious. Hmm. Um, now going back to this, what was interesting to me in this article is Tony is basically, uh, he, anyways, he, he put out a book and it's on, um, ah, I want to get the, the right name of it because um Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins book. New is that book. What yeah, it's on like it's on health, basically. Um, it's called Life Force is the book, but the interview is basically talking about how he's ran into health issues, and this actually led to some really interesting perspective from him. What I liked about the interview is basically he he seemed to acknowledge that health problems are real, and you can't just mind over matter everything, and because I think that's a lesson that someone who has been basically building their business on this mind over matter type of, um, I mean, not exactly called happy go lucky psychology, but basically like you, um, power of positive, power of positive thinking, amplify it by a thousand and you're likely to make a change in your life. And I think a lot of that is true. If you really set your mind to something, you're like, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to go 
get physically fit, it does take a certain amount of motivation to get your butt off the couch. Yeah. You know, that that's absolutely true. But on the flip side, if you have a real physical ailment, just thinking about it isn't going to make things better either. So it's, it's definitely go, like a blend of, of both. Just go sit in a sauna. Just go sit in a sauna. Saunas yeah. are burn, great for you, man. Burn those calories. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and this, and actually, I'm thinking a bit about Jordan Peterson in this too, where he, um, he had a lot of that. You know, the I think he had the the, the 12, 12 rules for your life, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. It was a book that got very, uh, got him a lot of acclaim, and it was very much a, you know, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and just do the right thing. Start with the little things, and eventually you'll work yourself up to the big things, and then. Um, and, and that can really help get your life in order. And then he had a real, and I think he's even still dealing with it, some real health problems that have really been a big challenge for him where he had to, he had some addictions to ooh, some, some kind of uh is a prescription of sorts, right? Yeah. Some prescription drug and just had a really rough time getting off of it. Um, specifically because it's a drug that's very difficult to get off of regardless yeah. it was of like your... in the like, like clonazepam or something like that right like anti-seizure type of thing I don't remember exactly what it purpose. was but um, um, it, it, it was interesting because he had he had talked about it for so long that you know you can pick yourself up by your bootstraps just do one right thing at a time and then he he hit this major health problem and yep, it, it really set him back addicted to benzos is what the New York Post says benzos okay um yeah, I actually thought Jordan Peterson had a lot of really good things to say. Very eloquent speaker in a lot of ways. Um, very thoughtful. Like, he's very careful. He uses words very, very he's, specific. Yes, yeah, very specific um, meaning behind way he's speaking. I actually enjoyed a lot of the, the 12 rules. Uh, of, oh, that's what it was. 12 rules for life. 12 rules or, for your life? I feel like yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll just look this up. Yeah, I have the audiobook because I finished it. Um, mm. that, that's my form of reading books. Uh, in general, Jordan Peterson, twelve uh, rules for life. Twelve There's, rules for life. Yep. I've heard. I've heard it's a, a very good book. I haven't. Uh oh. Uh, well, there we go. There's, yeah, an, there's antidote, the man. an antidote for chaos. That was the antidote for chaos. Yeah, yeah. The twelve rules for life and antidote for chaos. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I found this one to be a really interesting one. Um, I mean, so are my impressions right on that one that it's it's a book of you know pick yourself up by your bootstraps, kind of work your way through. I, you know, the first thing you need to do is is get up and make your bed. Like that that, that was one of the things I heard him say a few times. Because you know, I'll, you know, I'll watch some YouTube of him every once in a while. Yeah, to the Joe Rogan podcast. He's yeah, I, I'm gonna stuff. have a hard time actually like articulating what was in that book. I'm, mm-hmm. I haven't like I look into it. I'm like actually not totally all the way through it. So my, you didn't write a book review. I didn't write my book <laughs> review, nor did I cheat right before this and get my cliff notes. So. Um, yeah, so I, I, I did enjoy it though. Some of the stories in there of him talking about like how, uh, he is from a really little town in Alaska, basically of, um, just kind of like how the part that stood out to me was uh, how some folks just, their lives just went sideways, went down and a handful of decisions can make the difference between basically you being a loser in life and your life making a different direction and where you are able to kind of max out your potential. And so these 12 rules were something to help you help guide you through those. Yeah. Help guide you through the kind of the, the challenges in life that would may otherwise derail you. So that when you come to a fork in the road, you're able to take the optimum path. Yes. A more optimal path. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder what he would say about personality types. 
Because he, he is be, a clinical maybe that'll, maybe, psychologist. Maybe that'll isn't be he? his next book, the, the 24 personality types. <laughs> 24 boxes and for it your too life. And it, it too could be yours for only $40. So. <laughs> I don't know. It, it would be interesting to, to hear from him on that because he's talked to so many different people. Um, he would have an interesting perspective on that. I've never heard him talk about that. So yeah. that'd be interesting. Now, have you personal personality tested any of the kids yet? No, um, I have done uh, the five love languages with them um, because, you know, as a as a dad who goes to work every day, you know, I, you know, I I get to see my kids plenty. And and that's I'm very thankful for that. But um, I don't spend the whole week with them. And Mm -hmm. so I'm trying to figure out which love language works for which kid um, was uh, was kind of in those. uh, Those are what gifts. Quality time, uh, words of affirmation, words of affirmation, acts and of love, like a, uh, acts of service, acts of service, yeah. And, and uh, um, there's one more. I've got a touch, the, yeah. Oh yeah, physical, physical yeah. So touch, like hugs. Yeah. Yep. Um, what was interesting is, uh, you know, the eldest, he, he scored very highly in one category, but then, and he's uh, ten, and then my six-year-old. He scored evenly almost across the board in all of them. Mm. And then I, I, do you wonder, I didn't even try Do you wonder if that's with, like a maturity level thing? Yes. And this um, is something that before I, st- I took, I handed the, or started talking to him um, for the test was like, this test is only good for, you know, ages, you know, seven and up. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> and <laughs> don't box me in, you know. <laughs> and then I gave it to my six-year-old and what yeah. do you know? He scored evenly across all. So. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, I know uh, my oldest, uh, she would be definitely very high on quality time. That is like definitely ranks very high for her. And my youngest as well right now. But like, I think that's just being young in that sense. Like you're just like craving and competing for attention. So, I mean, if I flip her over, uh, if I don't do that in about three seconds, my son will have a meltdown. So um, the fairness is very um, much observe right now well you know he's the he's the youngest so got to make sure he's get gets attention <laughs> yes, so. <laughs> yes, for sure. yeah exactly but yeah it's it's good because um knowing that you know his my, my oldest is you know his is words of affirmation i'm not going to say that i've fully internalized that and i make that you know that's been a big change in my life the way that i approach him but it's it's a good reminder every once in a while to like okay Looks like he's having a rough time. Mm-hmm. Let's just go spend some quality time, give him some words of affirmation. Yeah. Maybe help him out with some, his, another one was acts of service. And so, hey, I see, you know, you're supposed to do the dishes after dinner tonight, bud. Here, let me, I'll drive for you or I'll, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll rinse or whatever. And so um, it's, it's just a good way. So, I mean, that one, I wouldn't say is a personality type, but that one was, is another way of putting people in boxes. Yeah. But again, it's, it's a way to, help you interact with them. And I, and I think that that yeah, at the I, base, I, I think the 12, the, or sorry, the, the love languages book and the really the concepts behind that. Cause often that that's used in more of, um, like a marriage counseling type mm-hmm. of, uh, context. I think that, and, um, I'm blanking on the other one, which was, uh, another, uh, the one that I took when, or Joanna and I took when we were, uh, um, doing premarital counseling was like, are you a Labrador or are you like, and it, and it had the ant- oh, lion yeah. and it had the different, yeah. like, Amber's family is really big on that. Being like, Oh, that person's just such a retriever type of thing. Like <laughs> was like the kind of the way of describing folks and like, um, like, Oh, this, uh, I'm a, I'm a lion. And so I do things this way, but like, 
ironically is used also as like a justification for bad behavior too. Oh, that's like, just me being a lion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, you're actually just being rude and you don't want to apologize. Like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, the one that I was thinking of, and I don't think I have the book up here. Uh, you do have a lot of books. I, up I here. do have a handful up here. Makes you look very smart. Yes. Which yeah. fortunately you are pretty smart. So you can back most of it up. Well, I also forget <laughs> a lot of it. So I think it makes me look more accomplished in my reading than I often am, but I'm a picker and a chooser when I come to reading. I'm not certainly cover to cover. I very much oh, am man. like a just in time learner uh, for a lot of topics. For me, reading, I had for a long time, I had not, If I started a book, that had to be the next book that I finished, and I would not start a book until I. And then over the last like year, right now I'm in the middle of like four books, and I haven't read a single page of any of them in like six months. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) So okay, so for me, I'm. You should talk about books here. So there, there, I changed. I changed my personality type from being I must read one book, and now I cannot read all of them. For me growing up, books were is an interesting experience. So we had the library. We'd walk down to it. Um, and it wasn't a big library, but uh, I learned the art of placing ho- items on hold uh, ah. from my mother. Now, uh, our challenge was overdue books because it was 10 cents a day for each item that you had due um, over. and But there wasn't a limit of how many books you could check out at once. Huh. And so the strategy in our family is if you wanted to, if you're learning something, you would go through the library system and identify all the books on any one given topic. It's like, Oh, if I want to learn web page design, I'm going to place all those books on the most popular languages for that. The general tools, you know, everything in there, place them all on hold. And in about a couple of weeks, you have this massive pile of boom like this. Yeah. And so they're not, we'd go hauling home these books. Uh, so I might have like 20 plus pounds of books that oh we walk up a mile, you know, back home, getting a workout. Um, yeah. We get a workout. And, um, but like that, I think that kind of set me up actually on a pretty good path of figuring out how to learn topics in general. Um, but unfortunately, I have not escaped that personality trait or, or learning mm. strategy um, because even to this day, it's like if I'm going to learn something, I'm going to uh, I will buy courses on online. I will watch every YouTube I can find on the topic. I'll find the any online courses that are not necessarily the big ones, maybe the small ones, the odd topics, I'll find the books on it. I will be scouring articles and then I'll pretty much have like mastery of that one little thing, pretty solid and have a good perspective on it. But because I don't necessarily read something from end to end, I may miss like the rationale on why X is better and maybe not do something. Mm. And so it's um, leads to really solid granular knowledge, but sometimes at the cost of maybe the broader picture. So do you regularly not finish books? Yeah. How do, I, I, I like also... What ex- percentage of books do you actually finish? Uh, very few. Like a fiction book, I'll finish. But I also... End, I want to yeah. know the story. Now, my wife, when she reads a fiction book, she skips to the end when she's about a quarter of the way through, reads the last chapter, and then decides if she wants to finish it. Oh, my goodness. So, so like- <laughs> that's... Oh, man. I remember... I have only read the uh, the last page of a book once. Um, and it was 1984. Um, George Orwell. Yeah. And it was a great book, but like the very last line, um, if, if I'll, I'll just say the last line of the book here real quickly. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to know the end of 1984, stop listening now or skip ahead for 15 seconds, (laughs) but it's, he loved big brother. Um, and so, okay. Spoiler alert over, but basically that one line 
you know exactly what's going to happen because you see him, you know, not liking Big Brother and pushing back against it and trying to do yeah. everything he can to get away from it the whole time. Mm -hmm. But you know how it's going to end. And it, it made the book, like, it made the read of the book just depress which i mean it's a, yeah. that's that's the whole point of the book mm -hmm. but it really drew out that 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 feeling throughout the entire read yeah. of the book okay. instead of just having it be like a really like a, like so a it final. was more of a it was more of a dull feel as opposed to an, an acute ending yeah okay so, gotcha um i never read the end of a book now because that, <laughs> that one time was so traumatizing <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't read to the end nor like it, it, <laughs> Nor if I'm looking at like a TV series, I'm just going to like grind through it. Mm -hmm. um, my wife will literally read the descriptions of every episode and then she'll be like, I'm going to watch this or not what? based on that. And I'm like, that, that takes away the specific. I, lit like, I, I have to tell <laughs> Zach to not do that. I'm like, but like, like he, he likes watching uh, Camp Cretaceous yeah. um, and we'll watch an episode and then he'll sit there and he'll read all of the upcoming episodes. I'm like, don't do that. You're ruining it for yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think the light may have finally come on. He's really excited about the new Sonic 2 movie. Oh, okay. And, uh, and the first trailer came out. And you know, the first trailer, anytime a, a trailer comes out, um, it's, it's, it shows some of the big action pieces, gives a very generic feel of the movie, but doesn't give away a lot. And then like the second and third trailers, they're always, they give away, like if you've watched both trailers and you know them well, then you know most of the jokes in the movie. You yeah, have a good idea the, of all the, the action set pieces. The best punchlines are delivered in the trailers. Yes, they are. And it's like Deadpool was a great example. That movie yep. is hilarious. And even if you'd seen the trailers, it's it's still hilarious. But I went, I watched the movie. I was like, the second one specifically, and I was like, man, they put all of the good jokes mm -hmm. in, the trailer. in the trailer. And you're like, well, now, now what? Like, I can go back and watch it again and like, you know, a year and I will have forgotten most of it and it'll yep. still be funny, but still it's like, I don't know. So like yeah. anymore, if there's a, if there's a trailer that I know that I'm, that I'm going to like, mm -hmm. uh, like the, like uh, the tomorrow war was a perfect example of this. I want, you know, the trailers, that, that two was, minutes. That was long. that one you, the, we, uh, you showed me, right? Chris Pratt. Yeah. Chris Pratt. That was yeah. such a good movie. It was I good. I really uh, yeah. like that one. There was a, there was a lot that was good about that. Um, I felt like the whole because it was his daughter at the end, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, that he's saving his daughter's mm -hmm. life, which was such a, like a fascinating concept of how that. Yeah, it was, and and, and and they're making more of them too. But oh, okay, but right. that was a good example of like the the trailer opens up. It's Chris Pratt, and I'm mm -hmm. like, yes, I like Chris Pratt. We're yeah. off to a good start, and then it's like, all right, we've got this, you know. These people showing up and they're saying, you know, we're from the future and we need you to come to the future and fight a war in the future. And it's like, I am sold. Like, I don't want to watch anything else. I turned the trailer off. Oh, up. yeah, that was it. That was enough and, to sell you. Yeah. And when when I actually watched the movie yeah. and there were aliens in it, yeah. I'm like, oh, there's aliens? This is great. This is awesome. But if I had watched the trailers, it's like, because I have a way of like. You, you build of, it up in your catalog. head. Now, now, yeah, well, you, you, well, I literally catalog like all the things that happen. In okay, there's a winter scene. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's this big scene. There's this. And I'm sitting there watching the movie. I'm like, okay, we haven't had the winter scene yet. Yeah. Oh, so that means this isn't the end of the movie, even though it feels mm -hmm. like it. Okay. So it gives away like the, the big plot twist gotcha. just by having a scene with snow. Yeah. Like, and that's enough for me uh, okay. to know that like. I totally forget it. I'm like, I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to happen. Well, and, and, then, see, like, <laughs> and this happened in the Sonic movie and I can tell it happened for Zach because after he watched 
that tra- the the final trailer for Sonic Two. He yeah. was like, they showed a lot in that trailer. And uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but that's why I don't. You know, I, I yeah. try to not watch trailers because I mean, yeah, it used cause... to be that trailers were very like. If you go back and watch older trailers, mm-hmm. they were much more generic. Didn't give away as much. And yeah. And now it's changed a lot. And I don't do, know when that Do you that think changed. that's because of just the structure of the internet? Like how much information is available? Like as soon as a movie comes out, you already have your reviews of all the plot points, the highs, the lows. Do you think I don't information, know. like there's just a, the directors are having to compete with that? Do you think they're trying, like, is it just a norm and that's just where we are today and so everyone else is doing it? I think that the marketing teams are so desperate to make their their day one money mm-hmm. so that they can be a big worldwide blockbuster. Yeah. Um that they kick that out so that they can do mm. that. Interesting. So I was almost thinking like me being the 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 web developer type person. It's like, nope, they're doing this just for SEO word scraping purposes. Well you can like yeah. if you were to like transcript out the movie to put all the words in there, throw like a snowy scene and then this character says this and all of a sudden now you have like a thousand word type of yeah. equivalent transcript that could be used for that web, I don't know. that little resource. So I'm assuming that it's because if they put all the really good stuff into the trailer, um, then people will assume it's just the trailer and they'll be like, oh, and, and this is just the beginning. There's the whole movie. And it's like, then you get to the movie. It's like, well, yeah, there was all the bits between all of the trailer, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, that was all the exciting stuff. Yeah. So, so anymore, I've, yeah, I get very... I get very careful with the trailers that I watch. Like there, there's yeah, certain ones fair. where it's like, okay, I don't really care if I get if too much is given away. Like the new Doctor Strange trailer mm-hmm. for the Multiverse of Madness. I was like, do I want to watch the whole thing? I almost didn't finish the Jurassic World uh, Dominion trailer, but I couldn't help myself because I'm so excited. But okay, so so in <laughs> movies, character development is very much like an important part for a plot to feel like it's progressing. Um, whether it's a in like a horror flick, a realization that you're no longer safe anywhere, right? Yep. Type of thing, or something along those lines. Um, it's almost like the very concept for a movie to be a good movie requires that a person can adapt from one personality type. Oh, here it to is. Another. <laughs> so nice seg. <laughs> I, I, thank you. Thank you. I was working on that one in yeah, my head yeah. for a minute. Um, do you think that's necessary? Like, like, do you think our human psyche craves that change because we can't get it or because we hope that we can? I think it's because we hope that we can. Um, and I mean, th- those are always, you know, I literally have uh, Samwise Gamgee's uh, quote from the, the, the two towers, you know. Um, those are the stories that really mattered, you know, mm. the ones that stuck with you when, you know, things were the worst and yeah. then, then the, the people just continued on and, you know, it's, it, and it's a great little, uh, dialogue he has at the end of the two towers there. And I think that that, and, and I think that really speaks, speaks to why specifically the Lord of the Rings was so good is you had so many characters mm-hmm. and all of the characters went on these incredible journeys mm-hmm. of, in, of an incredible amount of change. You know, Samwise leaves this bashful gardener and he comes back, this hero who's willing to go, you know, kiss the girl at the bar, sweep her off her feet and marry her. Um, Frodo, you know, too, is like all the characters there um, go through so much change. You know, Aragorn yeah. is, a, is a perfect example of that. Um, so I think, and I think that we watch that or read that, depending on which, you know, 
the books are always better. Okay, yeah. great. Um, but we, we look at that and we think, if they can change, I think I can change too. And so we, we like that hopefulness that that brings, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's a key part here. One sec here. I'm going to double check. We're still running on the side. We are. Oh. Did we even start? (laughs) I had that thought in the back of my head. I was like, wait, did I even hit the record button even though I said I did? You need a big red light. It's just disabled right now. I can turn that on. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So I'm I'm curious here to – I feel like to wrap this up, I think me bring it back to the personal is kind of a more of an interesting story. So um, we're – where do you feel like your character and your personality traits have shifted over the years uh, from before you're married – to married, to first having kids, and then maybe some of the challenges that have come up along the way. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, confidence for me is something that ha- that never really came easily, and something I had to develop over time. And you know, getting married that that's that helps, and then getting a job, and then having people um, like legitimately look up to you um, is is another big piece of that. But I think just really being able to believe in myself more um, and realizing that, you know, you always look to, oh, well, uh, you know, at work, there's this guy, he's been here for 30 years and he knows everything and this, that, and the other. And then one day that person retires and then another person like him retires. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you've got someone asking you questions and to realize that without even necessarily trying Mm -hmm. if people are coming to you for those questions you have now become that person in someone else's mind and to to see yourself through that other person's eyes where it's like okay they i i need not only is this good for me because i like i'm glad that i'm at that place in my life but also to realize that you know you're to, to see yourself through those other person's eyes to be like okay I can do this. And the realization that, you know, like uh, parenting is a perfect example yeah. of, of kids and they're, they, they come to you with this question and it's like, where did you come up with that question? And mm-hmm. they expect you to have the answer. Right. And it's like, they expect, you know, the, the, the old, the old gag of, you know, well, it, you know, wish these things had come with a manual, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, I wish they had, because it's yeah, like, no, and every some, some of the questions so are pretty, pretty hard questions to answer too, or ones you don't necessarily have an off the cuff answer because there's like, okay, do I give you an age appropriate question answer that may be incomplete? You need to know their personality type for how to answer. <laughs> <laughs> that certainly, I think, can help. Yeah, because I mean, like, if you know one of your kids is say me maybe more nightmare prone, and they ask a question on a scary topic. Maybe yeah. you're going to buffer that a little bit, knowing if I answer this totally honestly, or that it's a game of probabilities, or something like that. Yep. That that's going to cause more consternation than you know providing. So it sounds like you've already thought about this. How, I mean, what, what kind of a journey have you been on for this? So I mean, yeah, okay. So getting married, at least for us, like I think that was um, I was fresh out of college. Um, I remember graduating college in May. Uh, I got my big boy job in June, like as as already an intern, but then like I, you know, full time office work in June, and uh, I was you know married by July. So at least for me, it felt like coming out of college um, felt almost years apart. Like like my world felt totally different. My responsibilities oh, yeah. were totally different. It was kind of like a shock to the system. I had to mature real quick myself because all of a sudden it's like. Oh, I've now got student loans I have to take care of. I've got a wife I have to take care of. We've got 
uh, apartment bills, all this kind of stuff. I'm I'm outside of mom and dad's reign of influence. And those bills will go late if you don't take care yeah, of them. Yeah, like, no, totally. And, and like, there's not I mean, someone there to remind you. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. So, I mean, like, I feel very, very fortunate that, like, my field of study was business, finance, accounting. So the numbers side of things wasn't the stressful part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I felt like as an individual, like growing up, like I was not in tune with my feelings. Like I, I felt like, you know, in a lot of ways, um, like I didn't really even, I didn't date really until college. Like, yeah, I went on a few dates with a few girls in high school and stuff, but it was never anything serious. It mm-hmm. was like, yeah, you might be cool. And after like one or two, I'm like, meh, not interested. Like, <laughs> <it's just> like, <laughs> So, uh, for whatever reason, I just wasn't ready for that, uh, until college. And then, um, yeah, it's here. We got married. Uh, Sophia was like, like when we had her, that was just like, honestly, like relatively easy parenting. I remember like the first three months was really hard for me to get like my head wrapped around that. I didn't have any time off for when we had Sophia. I didn't like have any paternity leave mm. then. Um, so just kind of worked, you know, like I worked from home then, so it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was like one of those, like, I know like a lot of like my neighbors, like they're, they're a young couple and they've like, like, oh yeah, we're like, we got three months of time off to kind of hang out with our baby and all that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what that was like. Like, cause it's just like, like we just kind of, you know, went running. And then, uh, when we had Emmett, um, our second, that was, I mean, there's kind of a lot that went in between there, but like just the struggles of like not being able to have a kid. Like my wife's heart was set on having a kid and then that Mm -hmm. didn't happen. Um, She had to get on certain medicines, change medicines and like knowing that certain ones have like the potential of causing birth defects, all that kind of stuff was like a challenge. And then finally got pregnant. Everything's looking good. And then that ended up being a super scary pregnancy. So along those lines, like, um, like wondering like, Oh, is our baby to be going to even be born? Uh, And then like, I remember that, um, uh, perinatology folks are like, well, if you'd like to abort, that's an option. And it's oh like one gosh. of those when you're like, like they, he has some of the markers for Down syndrome. And you're like, okay, like how do I even process this information? Yeah, right. That's... And then we'd go and we'd go talk to our other doctor. She's like, why would they even tell you that? She's like, yeah, he has one marker and it wasn't like that. So we, and then like, there's a heart scare, there are things like that. And so it's like, you're kind of dealing with the trauma of that. Then he's born. None of the actual issues that were like raised were even his issue. And then the real one, which was the one that like, yes. like kind of the, the PTSD moment here, the, the culmination cap of the story here was like, Oh no, actually he had, you know, sagittal craniosynostosis. So the top part of his brain fused together. And then it's like, that's like traumatized Carlson. It's like neurosurgeon, plastic surgeon, uh, you know, and, and my kid is in that middle of that paragraph there. And you're like, uh, are they going to survive? And you're like, you're, you know, in the hospital, it's all nice. They're trying to give you all the things you meet all the doctors multiple times, all that kind of stuff. And like, and here's this doctor and here's your social worker. And you're like, why do I have a social worker? Like, trust me, you want one. And it's like, <laughs> like that's your process coordinator. Like, and all that kind of stuff. Like, okay, so we have a neurosurgeon, a plastic surgeon, a social worker, uh, then a, the, the pediatrician. And by the way, you have the top crane, the top neurologist in the nation, the top plastic surgeon in the nation, both on the A team together. And it's like, I feel really fortunate, but that also makes it more terrifying. Like, in a sense, <laughs> like, because it's like, why? Like, you know, you, you know? and so me being like, uh, an engineer pessimist at heart, like you don't talk about like how you cope with stressful situations. That's when I go into medical overanalyzer mode. I'm not a medical person by heart, yeah. but let me tell you, I learned a lot of medical terminology and what things meant. I'm sure. 
but also made it more freaky because it's like you're reading probabilities of certain surgeries. But like, yeah, and then come surgery day, it's like you're signing things away. Like, I will not sue the hospital if my child dies. This is a known oh risk of surgery. And you're like, okay. So I was a wreck after surgery, ironically. And then my wife was a wreck leading up to surgery. And the whole time, neither of us could talk to each other. You know, like, like in a sense, like during this, because it's like, yeah. like if we'd say you just anything, wanted to avoid the topic. Yeah, it was just like avoid the topic, pretend like nothing's happening, all that. So like that was um, kind of that. So in this whole thing, I'd say like personality types, like I would say prior to having kids, I was totally the super optimistic person. Like, I mean, I myself am kind of like a like it's a miracle that I'm alive. We'll save that one for another medical ah, medical story. Like, in a sense. Okay. like so, um, but like. You know, I kind of survived my medical things, and so it's kind of like a great irony of the world that we live in that my son also had major medical issues. So I kind of felt like oh, that's great. that gave me a good bond with my parents, like in that sense, being like, oh, okay, I can understand all the horrible feelings that you guys dealt with. Yeah. Like, like talk to my dad like, dad, how would you even deal with this? Like, you know, like that's super scary stuff, right? So, um, Well, and it's nice that he's able to help you in that situation too, to give you some guidance in that. So that's, that's a huge blessing right was, there. I mean, in a, in a cool, strange but, way, right? Yeah. In a strange way, there was some like similarities, but in other ways it was like, it was so far away from them. Like they were also like 30 odd years removed from those situations. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of also one of those of like, Oh yeah, it was fine. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> Oh, we remember it was bad. And you're in the hospital for a bit, but you were fine. And then my mom's also naturally just like the, I think she compensates for stress by being always optimistic mm. and that's like to a fault too. So it's like one of those, like, you know, so you want to talk about like personality traits. Like I think it made me a lot more for about two years after like surgery is like definitely made me more pessimistic on a lot of like medical things being like, nah, you know, like life's not always peaches and cream type of yeah. thing. Um, but it also kind of gave me a compassion for other people. Cause like, well, our kid had, it was traumatizing for us what he went through. What actually really got me was realizing that other people go through the same thing and a lot of them go through it a lot worse than we do. And so that was like the yeah. hardest part for me because it's like a human can only like emotionally endure like like so much like pain like in one moment. But then when you realize it's not just you, it's other people times a thousand or a million like it's just like moral. It like kind of breaks you inside. <laughs> so like that was that was like kind of like a personality thing there. Wow. Um and then it also kind of made me realize, I'm like, man, the type of work that I do is like, it feels so trivial at times. Like, what, what, why am I stressing <laughs> about this or Ones that? Or the other thing, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, okay. That's that's what, you know, people are stressed out about. Because I remember like when I was working um, in the automotive industry, it's like people are like, oh, this is a this is a catastrophe. The website's down or whatever. And it's like, I lo now I look at it like... I got stressed out over the website being down for a half hour or whatever. Like, who cares? Yes, it's we're losing money. Okay. Like, I'll, I'll admittedly, yes, we're losing money. Yes, it looks bad. But, like, on the flip side, it's like, no one's actually dying. Like, if our thing is having problems, like, okay, you have to maybe pick up the phone and call a car dealership. Really? That's, that's, yeah. that was oh, the no. worst case scenario. They could have Googled it instead of going directly to the website. Like, I don't think that was worth, like, you know, cussing up absolutely every other person, myself included, you know, for, for that type of thing. So, um, I think it's been good, like from a, maybe like a working in the industry management standpoint, I'm like, I, it's given me a better perspective on what actually is a priority and what's not. Interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Well, personality types. Thanks again for listening to Hocracy. We'll try yeah. and keep these episodes coming. Um, yep. 
I think so. We got what a couple links we got to put in, and other we than do. that, um, see you next time. Yeah, no, for sure. I think uh, we got a. Uh, this was a uh, kind of a fun one. We went all over the place. Yes, it was a good, good a bit one, of adhocracy. Adhocracy. So, thanks again.